Thanks. Thanks for joining us. Yes. Hi, Sultana. How are you? It's nice to see you guys. Nice to see you too. I feel like I see this um, background just in different videos. It's know, nice to right? see you live. <laughs> it's so funny. I a friend came over and they're like, oh, this is where the magic happens. I'm like, it's so weird because it's like, yeah, this is kind of my only quiet space. Yeah. So. It looks great. I also, I love that you're sitting on the floor. Yeah. I do. So like, this is my desk. It's a floor that's, desk. That's so smart. You are I'm, a true I'm yogi. Bolster. You are I a know. true yogi. Way to yeah. represent. Totally. <laughs> It's like if I'm during the day, I I sit at a desk. Yeah. So I know it's like here, at least this forces me to get on the floor. And yeah, yeah. I love it. So that's where, yep. I figure if I had a desk, I'd sit at it. Right. Also, you must be like so much more accessible to your daughter at that height. <laughs> yeah. So like right? she cut, so that's the only thing. So my little station is everything she can touch because this is like she'll sit down here and pick up notebooks and be like I'm just I'm just working give me a minute (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah so like in all my notebooks I have little scribbles and that's adorable but those are my notes to you I'm like that's my contribution mom that's me reminding you to stay present (laughs) yeah that is adorable yeah so it's cute it's so funny. That's great. Oh, well, good. I'm excited to do this with you guys. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. We're so happy to have you. Speaking of yogi, um, we, we, we're talking a little bit about culture. We're talking about what that means to you. We're talking about how you sort of live into that in today's day and age. So yeah. Tell us a little bit about your background for, for our listeners, our many, many listeners. Who are you, Felicia? Who are you? Who am I? Okay. (laughs) Um, so I am of Indian descent. I am first generation here in the U S. So I think that played a big role in my own personal identity. Um, so we're full Indian in culture, um, we're Ismaili Muslim, so I'm um, a Muslim American, mm-hmm. but my parents were born and raised in East Africa. So there is, as much as our culture is very strong, there's also a little bit of a disconnect with India as a whole. So it's, right. it's an interesting dynamic. But being first generation here in the U.S. was interesting for me because I think as many Indian families, it's a very strong, close-knit culture. It's embedded in everything we do. But at the same time, I was very American, right? Right. So like, I laugh because I'm like, I'm an Indian girl with a Spanish name and like a complete white American accent. I can relate to that. (laughs) I can relate to that completely. Yeah. Your name's Amy? What? What? Is that your real name? What's it short for? <laughs> exactly. And you're yeah. like, it, it, nothing. And so it, when I was younger, I think it did cause some confusion as far as my identity went. Cause I think I was, I never truly felt Indian enough because I was also very modern. I was a yeah. girl that an Indian girl that played soccer and it, it didn't fit in the norm. So I did have difficulty kind of identifying with the Indian side, but then yet I wasn't really American enough either. 
So I, it was a little, I think growing up, I felt a bit of that clash. Yeah. Um, but again, I, I think it wasn't until I got older and I really think when I took my first trip to India, hmm. did I really connect with my culture and with who I am and what that actually meant and what the Indian culture really embodied. Because yeah. what I learned later is that my culture was also like a blend of African and Indian, but I never yeah. knew that. So like yeah. I would say words and they'd be like, yeah, that's Swahili. That's, that's not Gujarati. That's nothing. And I was like, <laughs> really? Like, <laughs> how would I know that? Right. Yeah. You're, it's so interesting. That's so interesting. I didn't know that you were, um, that you grew up in or that your family was from East Africa. Yeah. So it was actually two generations from East Africa. Um, so it wasn't, it was like my great, great grandfather mm-hmm. that was originally from Gujarat. Okay. In some ways it was good. They came the mindset, um, yeah. when they had to migrate the, my parents' mindset was, was a bit more modern. because they had already left their home. They were a little bit disconnected from the culture. So they, they already had a little bit of a progressive mindset, which was great that growing up, it was not a traditional strict Indian cultural mindset around that. It was there, but it was also already broadened by their experience. Yeah. I remember meeting your mom and I was always just (laughs) so enamored with how like her love for travel, her Mm -hmm. love for seeing the world. Like she always struck me as someone who was very like metropolitan, you know, just like, she just wanted to be where everything was happening. She is very worldly. (laughs) She is, she is. And I think, you know, because they had so much access to travel um, at a young age that, you know, they were under British rules. So they could go to like, she went to school in London and she got to, so seeing the world, I think also then brought that back for us is that we also, as much as we held our culture and customs close, we also let other influences in, which was nice to grow up in. Yeah. It's like this semi-permeable kind of cultural skin. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I think it was, it was interesting because it, it felt, it was really nice to be brought up in that, but it was also kind of difficult to resonate or connect with one particular thing. Right. Now, do you find yourself now that, now that you all grown up, uh, yes. <laughs> do you find do you find that you are really appreciative of that kind of background and having a little bit of a a little bit of a mixed bag in what your cultural identity is? Yeah, absolutely. I think now I appreciate it more than ever because um, it allows me to kind of take the best of of what I want and, um, and then also add to it. I think it also gives me the confidence to go, Hey, look, I would like to bring this into my daughter's life and to bring, um, other cultures and customs and practices. So that absolutely has laid a foundation for me to feel a bit of that freedom, even though there were still some things that were, you know, still held true to the Indian culture, um, it, it does allow for that, which is nice 
for myself growing up, but now also raising, raising a daughter. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. And, you know, I look now, so my ex-husband is Australian, as you guys know. So like now that's another piece of culture Mm -hmm. that gets Mm -hmm. tied into. Um, But again, adding to the dynamic of even being able, that even being an option. And, you know, a lot of people ask me, was that a big issue? Was that, and for us, it was not right. Like it wasn't, we, we always sort of look towards our culture first, but it was not uh, an end all be all. So again, it was nice to sort of have that openness and freedom to, Mm -hmm. to make choices in that manner. It's also great because then she doesn't have to grow up with this sense of conflict all the time. Yes. Like, yes. like I grew up with that sense of conflict. We're raising all our the hands. Time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's yeah. so true. Co- that code switching that happens when you're in one group and then you go to another group and then you go home and you're like, who am I? I'm like a different person in every, in, in yeah. every group. Yeah. And and you feel like you connect differently. So it's almost like, well, why do I connect in one way with this group sure. and then a different way with this group? And yeah, I, I think it's interesting to see kids today because there's so many blended families and blended cultures that, and the broad mindedness mm-hmm. of people as, as a whole, right. they don't really experience a lot of that. No. Which is beautiful, which is really nice, but they, they just see it differently. And that's kind of one of those things that it's like, eh, (laughs) kind of a non-issue. Right. Um, They have their own. Well, then you look at things like TikTok, right? And it's this, it's this unifying platform where like everyone is using this, this thing from all over. And you're finding that there are so many more similarities then there are differences. Everyone's approaching, everyone's approaching their struggles with the same feelings. And like, it's just, it's just fun. You look through meme culture and you see, like, I, you know, I follow a lot of things from, you know, the Eastern part of the world and obviously the Western part of the world. And they're all the same. It's just, it's the same sort of experience, just different lenses that we're looking through. Yes. Yes. Where's the line and, though, you know, with, with, with things like that, I'm, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts because cultural appropriation is something that we talk about a little bit more now. And I think people yeah. are struggling with what that means and being politically correct. And, oh, I didn't know mm-hmm. that I crossed a line there. Can, can you talk about, I guess, what, where that boundary is when you're seeing things in culture, where, where is the line where you're like, Ooh, that's not okay. Yeah. Or yeah, that's cool my culture is being celebrated here. Yes, I think. um, And I know Amy and I have talked about this and and being in the yoga world, I think this becomes a very interesting topic because when your culture becomes mainstream Mm -hmm. and everybody wants to be or have a part of it, but yet they are taking it in directions that dilute the essence and it becomes commercialized. Is there like, does that become offensive? Does that feel, um, you know, they're trying to push for authenticity, but yet they're essentially trying to be something that they're not. And I think it, 
it's interesting because I think it warrants the conversation of what are you celebrating this because you truly embody and appreciate it? Or is this pop culture and it's what sells? Mm -hmm. Right. And I think finding the line of the intention of the person Mm -hmm. becomes important because, and I see it in the yoga world all the time, you know, one person changes their name to Shanti and the other person, you know, like all of a sudden, you know, so, and so you wonder, right. And, and I think it's those conversations of where did you arrive on that? Or, but like, a lot of people and most of us were grasping onto something for something more. So yes, does our culture hold thousands and thousands of years of um, traditions that bring us back to ourself? Yes. That's why I feel people grasp at it. So it's a tricky thing because I think they're doing it out of necessity to find themselves, but yet Yes. Is that inappropriate <laughs> in some way? <laughs> or... So it's, it's great. Uh, it was, I think this was last year. I called Felicia in a panic because I was taking all these yoga classes and I was, it, it's a, I will say it's a little strange as an Indian woman to take a yoga class taught by people who did not grow up in um, Indian yoga culture or who seemingly did not grow up in Indian yoga culture, right? And then get, and then have it be taught back to me through that, through that lens, right? That it's something that I think most brown people, when they go into those kinds of environments, they have a moment of pause where they're like, this is, this is where we are right now. Okay. (laughs) Right. I mean, I'm just being honest. Like, I know I've talked to my fellow Brown friends about this and there's always that moment, like, all right, this is where we are in, in, um, in the world right now. Okay, cool. And, and then there's that moment where like you're in a pose and you hear them say the name of the pose in Sanskrit and they, number one, don't say it correctly. Number right. two, it's like, it, it grates, it grates on me. There's this moment of like, why are you using Sanskrit? Nobody in this classroom, people in India don't even use Sanskrit. Right. <laughs> you know, like I've, my parents studied Sanskrit in grade school and they were like, oh, we hate this. It's like studying Latin for us. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm nobody uses that really why are we using those why can't you just say the the terminology in English right that would sound more authentic coming out of your mouth if I was in India and there was an old dude in like (laughs) a lungi and and maybe right then maybe be like okay bro I hear what you're saying I'll I'll do what you're telling me to do (laughs) it's just I don't know, from my lens, from my per- point of view, it takes me out. It pulls me out of mm-hmm. the experience because I have yeah. to take that moment to acknowledge what what's happening here. And this is by no means any anything negative on the wonderful instructors and what they are able to facilitate in those rooms. Like 
they make beautiful, magical things happen for people. But those are the things from a cultural perspective that pull me out. Yeah. So I, I called Felicia and we were having this huge conversation. Yeah. Like, How do we solve this problem? <laughs> and, and I wonder if it goes to the teat like the people doing the trainings, right? Because yeah. they do require you to learn these. So yeah. they make you feel like this is, this is part of knowing the yoga. Right. Um, and I think I mentioned this to you. So as much as I've been teaching and now I do teacher trainings and I specifically teach to speak in English, like yeah. we, I, I sort of veer against it because I think you lose yeah. people, right? Cause yeah. like you said, you're coming from a different perspective and is it really necessary? Like using mm-hmm. Sanskrit, does it make the pose better? <laughs> does it make you, no, but it acts it, as your third eye. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the, yes. The words that resonate <laughs> in the vibration. I'm like, but you're playing, you know, if that was true, you're, you the music you're playing has nothing to do. No, with, if that you know, was true, that ass is not, no, no. <laughs> here's, the, here's the thing people don't understand when you are first generation American from the Indian culture, you, most kids are not really speaking their native tongue in the house because they're speaking English. Yeah. yeah. But most kids, at least nowadays, most kids are speaking English. Yes. And, and it's, it's a lot of receptive language. Like they'll understand Hindi, Punjabi, Urdu, um, Gujarati. They'll understand all of that. Right. But they're not going to respond back usually. Right. Right. So does that negate their connection to their culture? Does, does the absence of productive language like pull away from maybe in the sense of communication, but not when you are doing a pose. Right. And that's, I think what I, I get so frustrated. It's, it's that line between how do you honor and celebrate the culture that is being represented here and pay pay the proper tribute without actually taking on the, the, the being of that culture as if you're the representative of it. And that's where I think that line is. And, you know, I know Felicia, you talk a lot about this, that the body is a messenger and the body is always sending you messages. And so even when you're in that situation where I know the first time that happened to me, because people were like, Oh, you're Indian. Do you do yoga? You know, that, that was a question. (laughs) Like, yes, watch of me. Of course I do. Meanwhile, I'm like the least flexible person. But <laughs> I can barely touch my toes. But but I I've been exposed to it throughout my entire life because there is a cultural piece that is infused into your culture. There were the books and all of those things growing up and you grow up with all of that. But, you know, I remember being in my first yoga class and it was I I think the proper word is disturbing. I felt a little disturbed. I was, you know, it seemed relaxing, but then there was like this Indian kind of music playing and there was no one in the room that looked like me. And same thing you were talking about, they were using words and and I'm just sitting there thinking, I don't think that means what you think it means. (laughs) (laughs) But 
I didn't really have that connection to my body where I could really put words to how I was feeling. So is that something you talk about a lot, Felicia? Yes. So, um, in, and not so much in that direct context. So I do love and appreciate that, um, bringing that up because it is these subtleties that I think in classes that they're trying to keep it quote unquote authentic, but they're getting so far away from the essence and what it truly is by trying to blend it so much. So for me, because of where my parents came from, I didn't necessarily grow up with a yoga background. I never saw anybody doing yoga, which is interesting. It was not part of our day-to-day. And that was something that I kind of came into Mm -hmm. and was like, why don't I know anything about this? And everybody came to me, oh, you do yoga, you're Indian, you know, just like they were saying to you. And it was like this expectation that I should already know stuff. And I'm like, (laughs) I've never seen this before. So it was, it was new to me with the expectation that I should have already known every, all of this. Right. And, and also I, I feel like maybe that's also why I embrace it, but I, I don't, I shy away from it because I almost feel inauthentic doing it because I wasn't brought up in there. And I, I feel like it's wrong. Like how you're saying, like, so even when I do it, because it wasn't part of my upbringing. Mm-hmm. I don't use Sanskrit. I don't chant. I don't I, like, I actually choose to teach a very, you know, we teach seniors and chair yoga and people that never get to experience it, but from a very uncultured. Yeah. So it's interesting what we get attracted to because of maybe those nuances, because I do sure. feel when I go into a classic, like when they start chanting or I get it it pulls at me because I think this doesn't this doesn't feel right Mm -hmm. so yoga is deeply connected to Ayurveda yes and so I'm someone who grew up with Ayurveda and because of that I grew up with aspects of yoga so for example if I had a stomach like a really bad stomach pain my parents would not give me medication. They would make me lie down on the floor and they would contort my legs and press on certain parts of my stomach. And I'd be like, this is why I don't get invited to parties. But okay. So, right. And whatever they would do would help. And they just instinctively knew like, okay, this is what's happening. They had a, they had a term for it and they would, you know, do it or they would take, um, it's called Hing, but asof—I think it's asofatida. I think that's the term for it. Anyway, it's this really pungent-smelling herb, and they would mix it in oil, and they would rub it on my abdomen, mm. and and like if I was having some, you know, gas or something, they would rub it there, and then I'd be fine. Or we'd be walking and my dad would be like, okay, close one nostril, yep. start breathing. Yep. And I did the then, same thing. Yep. And then the, yeah. This same. is why we have to walk at 5 a.m. Because if people saw me <laughs> doing it, they'd be like, what is wrong with that girl? That's why she has no friends. That is my, that's my experience with yoga and Ayurveda. And I feel like when you are, same, when you're in yoga culture, 
and you're disconnected from Ayurveda, then you're not really authentically teaching. Uh, if you're using the language and all of that stuff and yeah. you're disconnected from that, it feels false to me. Yes. So I love that you, someone who from um, outside perspective, someone would look at you and be like, oh, she totally has a license to say whatever she wants, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because she's cute and brown. Let's, let's hear it. But so, but I love that someone like you is showing up more consciously than people who don't have your cultural connection. And I think, I think, well, that speaks obviously to kind of how elevated you are in, in your desire to heal, right? Because you're thinking, Mm -hmm. what's the easiest way? What's the best, most effective way for me to help people facilitate their own healing? Let me cut out all this stuff that they -hmm. they don't have a connection to in their day-to-day. And let me go straight to the source. Yeah. Right. And and I think because what people forget is yoga is not that hour-long class. Mm -hmm. Yoga is the 5 a.m. wake up doing the breathing. The yoga is when you're sick. The yoga is every day during your life. Yeah. That class is, is exactly that a class. Yeah. That's not yoga. Yeah. So yes, I think for me, I feel very passionate about bringing the practice to people, taking out the stuff that, um, the fluff in some respect that people can't resonate with because that does hold a lot of people back, um, because of how much, you know, society is piled on all these cultural things. People think it's religious and they think it's things that it's not. Mm -hmm. And yoga is part of your life. And so, yeah, I think if more people could bring it out that way, more people would be able to embrace it. Yeah. Yeah. I see the similar thing with meditation and I know we've been talking a lot about yoga, which, you know, <laughs> a- Amy has posted a lot. I'm sorry. There's, it's okay. Triggered. Triggered. <laughs> that's okay. That's, that's why we're talking about it. Cause it's, I think it's important for people to hear this conversation because I'm sure people have wondered and questioned and thought. And so I think it's helpful to hear, hear it. I mean, I feel similarly about meditation too. Yeah. Meditation is something that's thousands of years old. It goes way back. Right. Also similarly rooted in India. Right. And there are so many different ways that meditation shows up in, in life today and different streams. And I, I think it's beautiful because to me, I think about what Amy was talking about with healing it's all about finding paths to healing. And especially now with the pandemic, people are searching, people are looking for ways to better manage all of this. I mean, we have technology, we have a public health pandemic, we have just all sorts of change and transition that's happening in people's lives that they may or may not have anticipated. And so how do you deal with that? And it's, the answer is probably not gonna be more technology or more disconnection. The, the, the answer is probably somewhere in how do I feel more connected to myself? And the answer is probably in establishing some kind of practice, whether that's yoga, whether it's meditation, whether it's some form of mindfulness or writing or journaling or other things. And a lot of these things, they, they do trace back to uh, Indian culture is just the reality. I had to hear it from my father growing up, how Indians invented everything. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's all I heard growing up. And, <laughs> and so for a long time, I resisted that because I just thought, you don't know everything. You don't know what you're talking about. And of course, as I went throughout my life, I discovered, yeah, there are, are a lot of practices that have origins in India that doesn't make somebody better than somebody else just because of that. And, yeah. and I really had pushed myself away from the culture at a young age in part because of the disconnection that I felt. And similar to you, Felicia, in that there was this combination of cultures that I was experiencing. But as I've aged, I have felt like I've been able to accept it and embrace it in, in my own way and in a different way. So you're raising a child and you want to express that culture. So what are you finding that you're really teaching your daughter and taking from your culture and sharing with her so that she can you know, bring that into her own being and identity. Yeah, absolutely. As I mentioned, I wasn't somebody who grew up with yoga practices in my life. Um, but having now learned and embodied that myself. So now when she's sick, like Amy was saying, I put her on the floor, I bring her knees to her chest and I move it around. So I find myself um, bringing those pieces into her um, and teaching her about her mind-body connection at a young age. So, you know, so she understands that her body can heal itself. And <clears throat> these are different things that she can do. Other things like cultural, like generational connection mm -hmm. with... <clears throat> oh, do you need to um, get some water? You can get some yes. water. Yeah. I, I'm going to just get... <laughs> I have like a tickle. No worries. <clears throat> Somebody go and um, fold her knees. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. You remember, did this ever happen to you when you would like cough? Someone else would go <clears throat> like clear their throat <laughs> next to you like to help facilitate your, my dad does this. this that's is, my mom that's, does this. That's empathy. <laughs> sort of. Why did it feel so? Yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling attacked. You're attacking my cough. Yeah. Um, okay. So one thing that, that has been important to me to keep in the culture is the kind of generational connection. Um, that was something that I got to experience right now, like during the pandemic, we are living in a situation like my mom and my dad are here. So Mila gets to grow up and at least now get to experience them on a day-to-day -day basis. And I love that and appreciate that. Um, of course, that also comes with difficulties because there's still some old school mindset. Um, some of them like, you know, pretty girls don't do this and pretty girls don't cry. And, oh, and so, yes. of course, I kind of come from this <laughs> conscious parenting and I'm like, Please, you, there is not like using that type of languaging. Of course, <laughs> like every we all cringe. That's when you because, take the flip-flop and you're like, what did you say to my child? <laughs> and, I, and I feel like I get like that because I'm like, yeah. so those patterns are the ones that I'm trying to actively work to break, not just for my daughter, but also for my parents and that yeah. mindset of, you know, girls don't, you, you don't look pretty when you cry or you don't, because that kind of shutdown of emotions that, mm -hmm. um, I know I was brought up with where it was yeah. like, you know, you act a certain way. And if you have people at home, you do this. And, and, and so you play that role. And so how do we get out of that cycle? And that's yeah. something that 
as a parent, I actively every day try to practice because it's hard because Mm -hmm. I succumb to it sometimes, right? I find myself going, you know, and I I feel like I have to catch myself and stop and go, is this something I want to embed in her? Because that's what it is. Right. Totally. I connect to that a lot. Yes. So bringing, it's like having the love of the family and the generations and, you know, so she can learn from them, but also trying to ensure the things she's learning are the things that I want to keep, which becomes difficult because, you know, you can't tell people how to be, but I also try to say that I'm, I'm, that's not something I want to teach her. Yeah. Yeah. And the best way you can create new habits is having support. And you've started a community of single moms called Lioness Pride, right? That's right. Can you tell us a little bit about what motivated you to start that and what that's meant to your life and to other women? Yeah. So I started the Lioness Pride, which is a group for single mothers or a community for single mothers. And this was something that kind of for my, it it was a little bit of for myself, having gone through a divorce this past year, um, that was something that I had to really sit with. So coming from an Indian culture, I waited to get married. So I was um, older than, than normal. And again, marrying somebody outside my culture and then having a child and then it not working the Mm -hmm. way I thought it would, the way everybody, you know, believes marriages need to go. Yeah. That really hit home for me. And I think I had to sit with what that felt like for me personally. And then what I believed it looked like culturally and the shame and the questions and not only from my family, but from my community. And that after kind of going through my own healing process from it, um, I really wanted it to be different. Mm. I really felt like why, because there was a point that I didn't feel bad for it. I actually celebrated this change. I actually went, we're two adults that made a really good decision, not only for ourselves, but for our daughter. Why should I feel shamed for that? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And especially in, in our culture. So yeah, that's a little bit of where the development of the lioness pride came from in the sense of, you know what? Yes. Life does not always go as planned, but that doesn't mean that these things that we believe are bad, that that sort of negative connotation on certain things that happen in our life define who we are. And that everybody's like, oh, you're, you're single mom now. I'm so sorry. Or that mindset. And I'm like, I'm not sorry. I, I feel great. It's fantastic. Right. And so some of this idea and message was to be able to connect with other single mothers. So they had a place to go that they could feel what they're going to feel. It's not that it's, it is hard and it is a process, but for us to be able to connect and go, it doesn't have to look the way it used to look right. Right. Divorce used to be messy and ugly and, and, you know, everybody was at each other's throat and there was custody battles. But what I've also learned is that when you can 
slow down, Mm -hmm. take a moment, do the work before you rush into deciding things. It doesn't have to look like that. Right. Um, I think one thing that Andrew and I, Mila's dad, we did well is, you know, we never went to counseling. It's sort of like when we made that decision, but what we did do is take a year and a half working on the divorce. Wow. We worked on being divorced. Mm. We didn't work on the marriage, but this was also really important to us. Yeah. Um, how to get to a good place with ourselves and then with each other, with mutual respect that we could look at her and be like, that's what's important. So we could, I mean, I have friends that laugh that in my family, even at the time, they were like, what are you doing? This is, this looks ridiculous. You guys hang out and do stuff. And like, you got to work this, like, you got to figure it out. It's this or this. Right. And I was like, it's, it's not this or this. It doesn't have to be that way. Right. Life is so many different (laughs) shades of gray. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It it really is though. And, and I think it's, it's kind of, it goes back to what you're saying about how there are these generational language, there's generational language, there's norms, societal norms and things like pretty girls do this. They don't do that. Boys do this, whatever. And the more we do away with that and just allow what's there to show up and check our own egos at the door and go, okay, how much of how I'm feeling right now actually has to do with the situation in front of me and how much actually has to do with whatever my own issues are. And I'm being yes. triggered by what's happening in the present moment. And the more we do our healing, the more we do, <laughs> Hey, some yoga, some meditation, <laughs> downward dog. Hey, you know, whatever we have to do to, to get ourselves clear so that when we're in that moment, we can actually say, you know what, this situation is about our daughter. And you know what, it's also about us not feeling horrible when we talk to each other. Like I can talk to you and look at you as a friend because we were married and we can honor that space of marriage that we had without being together and having to like (laughs) deal with each other every day because that didn't work. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, we can do things as a family, the three of us, we can take Mila places and enjoy each other. And, you know, I have friends that are like, oh my gosh, do you guys feel a spark? And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> it reaffirms exactly why we're at where we're at. And it feels great because we get to go our separate ways. Like right. it's, it's fantastic. Right. So being able, I think Sultana, you said it so beautifully when you do the work and you can sit with yourself and, and know what your responsibility in the situation was, right. Owning up. It's very easy to point fingers at people, but for you to sit in your space going, this is what I brought to the table. This Mm -hmm. is why it went the way it went and that's okay. But I can still look at you with respect. We can raise this, this child together. We can um, support each other, I think in, in our life journeys, but it it doesn't have to be ugly. I love that you are modeling for your daughter what, you know, how, how to show up during times of conflict Mm -hmm. and, how you don't have to lose yourself when that happens. And I think so much of your sense of happiness comes from this feeling of like, okay, I I took back control of my life. And when there's conflict or difficulty, we feel like we've lost control. So you have to find ways like, how can I show up here where I have control 
where I've given myself control back. And I love that you've created this space for other women who are struggling with this to, to support each other and, and learn that. We need more of that in the world. I was looking at our images right now on, um, on Zoom. And, you know, we have like these three, these three pictures of all of us. And I was just thinking about how our experiences overlap like a Venn diagram. Like there are certain <laughs> bubbles that, you know, like Sultana and I share, there are certain bubbles Felicia and I share, certain bubbles that Felicia and Sultana share, and then there's the collective in the middle. And I, I just love that we're getting to talk with people and learn more about how we're all actually connected, how we all kind of overlap. Yeah. That's the cultural piece too, right? That's yeah. the connection. And, you know, I think Felicia, you're finding a beautiful way of celebrating your culture and your connection to it by transforming it right now and what that means. Yes. Yeah. And, and you said it, I feel that's, you know, keeping the things that are beautiful and the things that we see the world wanting to grasp, grasp to, but also the things that now we know better, we can do better for the next generation. Yeah. Where can people find your um, group? Yes, absolutely. So it is the Lioness Pride Single Mothers Community on Facebook. So we are a Facebook community at the moment. We can join the group. We've done some Zoom events at the moment as well as we had one live event in October. So the hopes is that if you are in the central Florida area, we will be doing some other live events, but it's again, a platform where people can tell their stories, connect with other women that are going through similar situations, as well as start to start their personal growth journey for themselves. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you guys for having me. This was so much fun. Yay. (laughs) Yay.